All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Hey, everyone. It's Mo Shwinunu, and welcome to another Mo News Conversation. We got the headline this week that the share of the U.S. workforce that is self-employed has climbed to the highest level in nearly 15 years. That now means that nearly 17 million Americans were classified as self-employed in June, according to the latest data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's an increase of nearly one and a half million workers in just the past two years. The pandemic has certainly made people rethink work. You've seen all the headlines about the great resignation. So lots of us are trying to build our own businesses, and that includes me. For perspective, tips, and insight into all of that, I wanted to have a conversation with the one and only Barbara Corcoran. You might know her from the show Shark Tank over on ABC. The repeats are over on CNBC. She's one of the sharks. But before that, she built an incredible real estate business known as the Corcoran Group. She started it herself and ended up selling it for tens of millions of dollars. Barbara was so kind to invite me onto her podcast, Business Unusual, last fall. She gave me some great advice for Mo News and how to keep building this media business. And so I recently invited her onto this podcast for an interview and deep dive into entrepreneurship, how she's investing right now, tips for building your own business, and all-around advice on how she created her empire. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. But before we get started, a reminder to subscribe or follow this podcast on whatever app you're listening to us on and leave us a review. I really appreciate everyone's support. Okay, let's get started here. I'm so lucky today to have the one and only Barbara Corcoran joining me for a conversation, which uh, I imagine will be a little bit about everything. She is the dynamo in business on social media. And as I witnessed this fall, her office running circles around her team, a number of whom are half her age, a third her age, but let's not focus on age because age isn't important. Um, I love her energy and I think you will find it contagious as well. Barbara is a New Jersey native. She famously had 20 jobs by the time she was 23, quit her job as a waitress and began a real estate company with a $1,000 loan. She would eventually go on to found the Corcoran Group, sell that, make her name as one of the few women in real estate running circles around the men. Most recently, she's been a co-host and EP of Shark Tank, where she's invested in nearly 100 businesses. She, of course, is prolific on social media, written multiple books. And if you want your regular fix, I highly recommend her podcast, Business Unusual. Barbara Corcoran, thanks for spending some time with me. Thanks, Mosh, for that great promotion. Thank you. I'd love to talk more about your story and entrepreneurship. And um, what, what, what were you most concerned about when you started your own thing? 
And what was the thing that you were most concerned about that turned out not, not to be true? I was most concerned about not knowing a damn thing about real estate, not knowing a thing, not knowing even what an, what an apartment typically rent for. And I opened a rental business, renting apartments by myself. So I just, nobody could tell. <laughs> I didn't know much, you know, because I was good at baloney throwing. I learned that in my waitressing job. You charm a customer, you tell he looks handsome, you remember his name, you're going to get a bigger tip. It's a commission-based business, right? So I just used those same uh, personality skills to cover up what I didn't know. But at that juncture at 23, I thought knowledge was important. Looking back, I realized no knowledge was important because I had nothing to lose, nothing to be afraid of, nowhere to go but up. So if I had known what the risks were, what are the odds that I'd succeed slim? What are the odds that you go into a business you know nothing about, you even have a good first year slim? But I did, you know, from the beginning, I was okay. Right from the get-go, it was my my calling, you know what I mean? And so uh, so there's such an emphasis today, I think, put on knowledge. Uh, I know with my entrepreneurs that I invested on Shark Tank, um, I'm wary uh, when an entrepreneur uh, knows a lot. I'd rather get a dumb person who knows doesn't know anything because they're more brave without that knowledge. You know, uh, too much knowledge is, a, you know, can uh, make you feel you're a smarty pants, can make you analyze too much versus act uh, quickly, which is key in building a business. Uh, yeah. So, so I don't even know what the question was actually, Mosh, at this point. I went way <laughs> off. Is there an answer somewhere in there? Yeah. There, there was an answer there. Okay. And, and I, you know, I find that, I find part of that answer fascinating, which is, you know, the advice to many folks in all aspects of life is do your homework, do your homework, do your research, especially now that you have the internet and all these resources available to you. But it sounds like you're telling me that some of your advice is do your homework, but don't do too much. Do you write homework? There's one part of homework that entrepreneurs don't do all the time. I see this on Shark Tank. I see it outside of Shark Tank. The most important homework, they will analyze have a business plan, how investors will make money, you know, get a big page presentation. They have all the answers, but they've never taken their business concept, their product, their service, and taken it to who will be a potential buyer and say, would you pay for this? It would be like four out of five businesses that I started, they would never get started if they had only asked the customer, would you pay for this? And the answer is no. So that kind of knowledge is a good idea, you know, because, yeah, that's important. But other than that, I think so much of it is uh, inventing your business plan on your feet. I mean, you have a goal. I mean, also, I, sh I know I'm going off a bit on this, but I also think along with the knowledge, a left brain kind of analysis is so damaging to so many people because people have come to believe uh, a business plan is the way to go. I know more people who have succeeded with no business plan, but they're very good at visualization of who they want to be, what they want to do. So my business plan, when I started, I remember feeling in the first month when I got my pink princess phone, which was an upgrade of a dollar a month. I said, I want to be the queen of New York real estate. I picture myself holding that pink princess phone and people kissing my ring like the Pope because my mother had watched and made us all watch that on TV, you know? So as weird as that is, that became my business plan. And I always had it in my head. I'm going to be the queen. I'm going to be the queen. I'm going to be the queen. And that's what I ran for. No facts, figures, because if I had put facts and figures on paper, none of them work out. You have to reinvent and see what you need on your feet as you hit obstacles. That's the nature of growing a business. Is everyone capable of being an entrepreneur, Barbara? Or are there some people who no. you've said, uh, you've told them like, 
you should have a boss and a W-2 and be working for somebody. What, what makes a person capable of being a great entrepreneur and, and what type of people should avoid that altogether? Well, uh, if you're risk-aversive in any way, and people don't like to admit they're risk-aversive. Risk-aversive, another form of that is liking to get a paycheck every week. That's risk-aversive, right? If that's important to you, uh, and a lot of people say, well, I could go without it for three months. <laughs> That's not enough not to build a business. So you can't be risk adversive. The most important quality that I have found has been consistent among the uh, superstar salespeople I've had the good luck to uh, have worked with me over the years and the superstar entrepreneurs that I've had the good luck to buy in on Shark Tank, right? They have one thing in common. They are competitive by nature and they are great at overcoming obstacles. That's the secret ingredient to building every business. How good are you at overcoming obstacles? And that's not easy for a lot of people. You know, people will analyze obstacles and have a plan and reinvent their, their model. And this, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you land on your feet, some crap hits you. How do you stay standing? And what do you say to get out of the trouble? <laughs> that's the kind of uh, street smarts. I guess it's street smarts versus book smarts, people smarts versus number smart. Now, that's all the stuff that makes for a successful business. So if you don't naturally have that, can you learn it? Uh, no, if you're an introvert, you have to be an extrovert in a business. <laughs> if you are risk aversive, how do you learn to be comfortable with losing money? Nah, I think you have to come into the fray with a certain amount. You get better at those traits through experience, of course, hopefully you do. But no, you have to be wired, I think, honestly. And I hate to say that to people because it's so cool to want to be an entrepreneur today, you know? Yeah, that a lot of people leave very good jobs and things they're happy with to be an entrepreneur and they never succeed at it. It's, it's a, it's this, oh, wait, one other trait, let me not forget, because it's so important. And I've only relearned this very recently. And that is, I find that my great entrepreneurs on Shark Tank, uh, when they hit adversity and really big setbacks, uh, they simply take less time feeling sorry for themselves uh, than other people uh, would feel sorry for themselves. They get back up faster. They take less time. They feel sorry for themselves, but they get up, they don't blame the next guy, and they're running again. I mean, there's the adage there that uh, the best thing that can happen to you is failure, especially when you're, you know, building a business. Um, but tell, as it you, someone, tell it to someone, Moshe, who uh, just went through a failure. They won't agree with you. <laughs> well, th that's what I wanted to ask you, Barbara. Do you buy that line? And have you yourself experienced that uh, in terms of like, is there a failure, either uh, in an investment failure that you made or something you made in business where you're like, uh, no, that failure totally sucked and didn't teach me anything. Or have there been failures where like, no, no, I'm glad that happened because it led me to why. Well, let me tell you something. When failure is happening, it's, it's painful. Uh, it's uh, It makes you question your worth and your confidence more than anything else. Uh, so it's no good. Nobody wants failure in anything. Look how hard we all work as parents to protect our children from failure. What a mistake that is. So easy to learn to win. It's hard to learn to fail, right? Okay. But for me, I was probably in business three or four years before I started realizing a pattern. And now I believe it's fact. It wasn't just with me. It's the way it goes. And that is all the best successes are on the heels of failure. I never had a great moment, a great thought, a new adventure, a new idea, uh, a new anything, uh, just because I was at my desk or brainstorming with managers or whatever. I had all my best ideas under fire. 
And when you're slammed down, you know, it's almost like the advantage of uh, putting pressure on a jack in the box. You know, you push that head down and then when you open it up, boom, it pops up high. That's the advantage you have with failure. You have a momentum. If you believe that there's a flip side of that coin and something's, something's around here, it's something good, something's going to happen. Um, every one of my big successes that pushed my business ahead from the lowest position in the market to the top position uh, jumped like I jumped five people instead of one person one year at a time. You know, I jumped because I was good at failure good at recovering. I remember uh, I blew my first $77,000 profit, which took me six years, I think, to make. And I was shocked I had a profit because I always spent the money long before it ever came in. But what do I do with $77,000? I put all of my uh, apartments on videotape and I got makeup done for my agents and put their faces, the bios, and up it went. And they could just hand it out uh, to all their customers Wow, we were ahead of the pack and it was a miserable failure. But I fortunately stumbled into a government thing my husband was doing called the Internet with the U.S. Navy. And I thought, I'll throw this shit up on the Internet and save face. And boom, boom, I had two sales within one week. And we we're on the Internet almost three years before our competitors. Do you know what an advantage that was? Would that have ever happened if I hadn't blown the $77,000 and looking for somewhere to save face? No. It just wouldn't have happened. And each of those big bumps that gave me a rise were always on the heels of failure. So is failure essential in building a business? You hope and pray for it after a while because you know you start to train your mind that something good's going to happen here. It's an opportunity. When things are ready, it's a shuffleboard. Things are all mixed up. Okay, what's the opportunity? And uh, there's always opportunity. Like this whole pandemic has been probably the best business opportunity that I've seen in maybe 25 years, 30 years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you, we've, we've hit a phase now where it is chic to have your own business. I mean, even more so than usual, because we all had a bunch of time available to ourselves uh, during the height of the pandemic. I myself like took to Instagram and started to develop my own thing. And so what do you make of this new era of entrepreneurship? And, and one question I have for you as someone who started their business uh, before this, of course, is what are you jealous of? You know, what, what should we not take for granted in this era now of starting your own business in 2022 and beyond? Uh, well, I don't think I'm jealous uh, because I had so many advantages that I'm thankful for. But if you're asking what's, what's easier today than it was back then in building a Absolutely. business, yeah. I would say social media is a, is a great leveler of business. Uh, with all the social media platforms to choose from, and most of them are highly effective. You can build a brand on a good story. You could build notoriety on cleverness and you could build customer bases and followings uh, without paying for them. Think about that. I mean, if I wanted more customers for the Corcoran Group uh, all along the way, I would have to take full page ads out in the New York Times. That was expensive. They were always risky, really risky. Um, you know, I had a push on PR. I had to do so much, but today you have something called social media. It's a huge advantage. And in fact, so much so that on Shark Tank in the last year, I've learned I don't buy any businesses that aren't great at social media. It used to be, I don't buy any businesses that um, don't know technology. If it's a technology business, I don't buy a fireman's business unless he, uh, a fire hydrant business, unless he's a fireman. I had those kind of little rules running around my head. But now today, a blanket rule is I don't buy anything that's not strong. Anybody who's not strong on social media. Sure, you can rent it out, buy it out, get some help. 
But if they're not inclined to be able to market that way, uh, I don't see big hits in the portfolio that I've invested in. You know, I just when 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 they come before you on Shark Tank, how quickly do you know whether you're in or out, or are there times where you really struggle with it? Oh, I don't struggle because I'm too I'm too impatient and too decisive. You know, I know immediately when I'm out. I don't like his nose. I don't like her hair. Her high heels are too high. She'll never work very much. He, that, that chef has a stain on his napkin, on his bib. I'm a wow. Pe- so, so appearance is a big deal to you. Well, it's a needed deal. Let me tell you, appearance, you have to look like what you propose to be because you're going to be selling who you propose to be to the next guy. And you've got to look the part. Of course I do. Okay. Of course, I, I want someone who looks apart or I just I'm already out. That would be up on my list of outs. What would be else on my list that always makes me out? Poor eye contact. Whether the person is making poor eye contact with all of the sharks or whether they're making poor eye contact with the women, which happens a lot. I'm like, he doesn't want a female as a partner. I know that I'm out. Save face and save my bother. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> You know, and then uh, I don't mind it so much when people don't know their numbers. A lot of my uh, my colleagues on the show mind that a lot if people don't know the numbers. But I see the numbers as nothing more than guesswork. I'm not putting any credence in numbers because I know when they get out there, everything's going to change. But I like an individual who says, I don't know. I mean, you give me somebody who says, I don't know. Uh, that's somebody who can learn. Someone who's cocky spins off the numbers like that, like that, like they're so cool. I'm like backing up. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. So if I'm humble and I'm dressing the part I've, uh, and I'm making good eye contact with everybody, that's, that's the best start to get Barbara Corcoran interested in me. That's a start. But if you, if you want to close me, give me some indication of something that you've been through in life, usually not in business because these are younger people, usually in the first business, give me some indication of what you've struggled through whether you were the dumb kid in class, whether you had the father who was a drunkard, whether the mom told you you'd never be anybody, and you're standing there in front of me in Shark Tank. Show me something that you've come through. And I'll show you the beginning of belief in someone who's going to make it to the finish line. Because if there's one thing you know about business, it's nothing more than a series of obstacles. And you're going to have a wit and a prayer and good luck and everything in your might to get through it because it tests the metal of the person. And so if I could get an indication of that, uh, I'm always in. And I don't care what I have to pay. In fact, I usually don't make the best deals. I'll pay a full price. (laughs) I should have gotten a better deal, but I'll pay a full price. I'm sure I'm going to make money here. The best example of this happened three years ago when I met the Comfy Brothers, two guys, one unemployed, uh, one one did camera work. uh, And they came up with the Comfy idea, which is an oversized a wearable blanket, as they describe it. It's like an oversized sweatshirt. They didn't know where they were going to manufacture it. <laughs> they didn't know what it was going to cost. They didn't know where they'd get the materials. They just had this idea and they thought it was the greatest thing and they sang a jingle. Nobody wanted their business. I bought into them because I saw a spark in them. And I thought they'd be fun to have a beer with at a bar. They were fun guys, you know? And uh, uh, I believe to date, they're the biggest success on Shark Tank. We had $40 million in sales in year one. They figured it out. Uh, but they, one was unemployed, they'd gone through a hardship. They had a mother who constantly told them, why not you? Why not you in being wealthy? And they believed her and they acted that way and they got an investment. And then they went on to uh, really make Shark Tank history. If, if I'm not lucky enough to get on Shark Tank or make it Shark Tank and get an investment, 
What do you recommend to folks who are looking for that mentorship, looking for that uh, education, and in some cases looking for that funding? What, what guidance do you give folks? Um, the guidance I always give people is you're better off bootstrapping your business. I'm not one of these, and I, 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 if you watch me, I don't invest in businesses that come into Shark Tank that are looking for their second round of funding or even their first round of funding. That kind of language turns me off because it's, it's, I always get the impression it's a continuum of money will always come. No, I like shortage of money. You have, like, I have my $1,000 uh, that my boyfriend and business partner gave me to start my business. Let me tell you, with that $1,000, which is laughable today, so say that's worth, say, in today's dollars, would probably be $15,000. But let me tell you, I knew where every penny was going to go. I really thought hard of every penny. I used my wit to stretch, stretch a dime. You know, I finessed people to walk because I didn't want to pay for the cab ride. You know, I did whatever I had to do to stretch that thousand dollars. That's the best way to start a business, bootstrapping a business. Because when you're investing your own money, and I don't even like the word investing, when you're spending your own money and you're losing your own money, you learn really valuable lessons right to the core. It, it cuts to your heart and you regret, you hit yourself over it or whatever. Yeah, bootstrapping is the way to go. I just don't, I, of course, if you're starting a fancy uh, technology business, you can't possibly bootstrap something like that. But with those more sophisticated businesses, which are only about 8% of what we see on Shark Tank, all the rest, I love somebody who bootstraps a business. And if uh, a Kickstarter is also a wonderful entrepreneurial bank or money lender today, Kickstarter is amazing. Most of those uh, people that raise a lot of funds in the end don't even succeed from what I've watched. Okay. But they sure get the funding. But again, that's a problem. It's some, some of the guy's money. Some of the guy's money is a problem. And when you have investors in a business later on, so many of my entrepreneurs want to get other investors to really expand quickly. I slow them down. I just do. Not that I want to hold them back, but I've seen so much wasted money, you know? So yeah. So stretching your money as far as far as you can go. But what about the, the mentorship side? What about the education side? How do I seek out uh, the right experts uh, when it comes to starting my own business? I'm going to disappoint you on that one because I have definitely seen a trend. Um, I found that all my great entrepreneurs that are doing very, very well will listen to my advice and do exactly as they please. So I'm an expert. I, I give great advice. Okay, They will do exactly as they please. And when I have someone that I've invested in that comes in with a yellow pad, and they're asking me to repeat something because they're writing it down as though I have the formula. All I'm doing is making suggestions. When they're that tight, I know I'm going to lose my money. I go up to the wall of my office where I have all my entrepreneurs hanging and I turn them upside down. Because anybody who's going to be that diligent on my advice, I know is not an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs listen, then they do it ex exactly as they please. So is a mentorship important to a real entrepreneur? No. Uh, could they make an association? With somebody smart to advance their business, yes, that's a different thing. But asking for someone for guidance, I mean, I'm asked probably five times a day, I'd like to, but I don't have the time. But the truth is, anybody who's wanting me to be their mentor, like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> you know, I don't get it, you know. So I don't believe that. And besides which, uh, online today is everybody's mentor. You could get any information you want if it's information you want. But I think emulating superior people. Like I've paid attention to great entrepreneurs my whole life that I've worked with. And I think, wow, he's great at that. She's great at that. And I try to mimic it. That's different, but I don't go to them for advice and, oh, let me do that. You know, no, great, great entrepreneurs sadly have a habit of doing as they please. Yeah. 
So it seems like when you describe entrepreneurship to me, it's an in the old, like, is it nature versus nurture? There's a lot of nature there. It's a lot, a lot you've, you feel that a lot is instinctual. It is, yeah. You know why? Because what instinct is, is the summation of everything you've learned to that point in your life. So why wouldn't you pay attention to instinct? And you ask anyone, whether they be an entrepreneur or working for someone else, uh, what they regret, they will usually admit if you ask them that they had an instinct that it was the wrong decision, they did it anyway. Now, all of us should pay attention to our instinct. It's not uh, not as comforting as an analysis, but it's much more trustworthy. And you were talking a bit about social media and how exciting it is. And I was wondering if there's any examples of like what you've discovered on social media or, or business connections you've made or what it, what are the great success stories in your life from your time so far in social media? Well, here's an interesting thing that I was kind of surprised at. Well, actually, I was very surprised. I was going to say I kind of knew it was coming. I didn't. I was surprised by it. Um, you know, I have a lot of speaking work. I make my living speaking and doing endorsements for large companies, right? Uh, you would think uh, most of them are finance related in one way or another, technology or finance related. Those are the people that have the bucks to pay big, big fees. That's who I want. Okay. So what do I do to attract those people? Uh, what do I do to attract those people? Advertise? I can't do a page in the New York Times or even ads. I think people would be suspicious. So I have to be present in social media. I only went on TikTok, I guess it was two and a half, maybe three years ago already. TikTok, because my 12-year-old at the time, my daughter said, you should be on TikTok because you're funny and there's a lot of funny people. So we just started dancing on TikTok, doing stupid things, whatever trends are there. We still do it. We hook onto five trends, throw a lot of crap on the wall and see what sticks, right? And then you get hits. You get hits. Do you know I've made a habit in the last six months of my life as the speaking uh, circuit uh, regurgitates itself, you know, pop, I did everything online through the COVID, but now you can go in person and also uh, being hired to do seminars and also anything I'm hired for endorsement deals. Oh, I'm curious, why were you attracted to me? Because I usually get to talk to the person who made the choice. And do you know what the main answer is? Oh, I love you on TikTok. These are financial institutions, too old that I thought to be watching TikTok. I love when you dance. I love when you this. They're buying personality. And so who would have ever thought that you could use your social platforms to go into the old boys network, the deep money pockets that have money to burn and collect that money uh, and do it in that fashion? It's, I was really, I'm so surprised. Now I've learned to, if someone said it wasn't social media, <laughs> I'd be surprised now because it's always that answer, always that answer. You know, you've been in the business uh, for a while. You've watched the trends evolve. What do you think is really cool that's going on out there in terms of real estate and tech? Um, where is, and by the way, at the same point, where do you think there's room for innovation for some great startup out there uh, that can really um, help revolutionize that industry? You know, I see pitches all the time, particularly in the real estate space, in and out of Shark Tank. I haven't seen one that made any sense, honest to God. The best thing that ever happened to real estate was the internet. It took the control out of the hands of the brokers and handed it right into the hands of the actual buyers and sellers because uh, information was released. And when, you and when you release information to someone, you give them the power. All right. That's been the single best thing. Now, there's been a lot of innovation within uh within the internet, but honest to God, I'm a little disappointed uh, considering we've had it so long, uh, you know, better virtual tours, uh, tremendous programs to stay in touch, 
uh, with your customers and to solicit new customers to target your audience, that kind of thing. But no, no great, uh, no, nothing really great out there that I have seen. If, believe me, if I could think of it, uh, I would uh, do it myself. Uh, I think the biggest opportunity, potentially a maybe big opportunity, is the metaverse. I mean, when I heard that uh, Snoop Dogg uh, had had sold the property right next to him in in his metaverse, well, I, I can't even remember what the price of that was. I think it was four hundred fifty thousand dollars in sandbox. You pay some sucker paid paid four hundred fifty thousand dollars in sandbox to live next to Snoop Dogg in a metaverse that you could argue doesn't even exist. Okay, it well, made me realize. I'll add to that. Like, why yeah. do we assume that the metaverse has gravity in it? Why can't I have a floating home? Why do I have to buy a, a, a home on a piece of land? Um, because you know what? It gives you a couple of things. It gives you bragging rights. Like that guy who bought that land is going to say, I live next to Snoop Dogg. He couldn't afford to do that in LA or any of his other homes. All right. So it, it and you have also you have proof of ownership, just like a deed in the metaverse, you know, Oh, you have, you own that particular link with your name on it. You live next to him or you live on the sea or you have a yacht. You could buy a yacht. You could buy commercial property. You know, I think there's tremendous opportunity in the, meta, in the metaverse today. I really do. And I think particularly for the retail sector and the commercial sector. And uh, when I say commercial sector, I mean, we, in a way, we're there already. I mean, we all do most of our meetings on Zoom. You, that's not the metaverse, but it's similar. In other words, people are meeting somewhere outside of the actuality of a physical space. And wouldn't you rather have your meeting on a yacht where you could look out the window and see the water uh, show off to your friends the surfaces of your yacht, of course, you're not really there. But if all the friends are willing to meet there and people are willing to meet, we've had a lot of concerts in the metaverse. That's proof of concept right there. You know, I think, I think it's a complicated, uncertain world, but ripe with opportunity and ripe with pitfalls of losing a lot of money. Uh, but uh, no, this great opportunity in the metaverse, I'm, I feel so certain about it. I'm trying to think of how to get my hands around and take advantage of it. And, I'm, and I just kind of concluded that I'm never going to get my hands around. You just have to take a shot, which I'm good at. I like taking a lot of shots and then succeeding at a few, you know? When you look at like NFTs in the metaverse, does it remind you, as you've watched trends, um, through, through your career of previous moments? Because right now there's a lot of naysayers and frankly, there's a lot of people who are just trying to understand it. Um, why, why does the metaverse excite you so? Uh, well, you know, everything's exciting. I think if you're a risk taker and I am an entrepreneur uh, and I'm a dreamer, everything's exciting when you can't define a limitation of how far you could go. So even though I don't know the road or the path as to how to take advantage, it's very appealing to realize there's no stop sign at the end of that road. You know, um, I'm here in New York City real estate. I, I hope I did. I hope my young staff executed the order. I think I bought the Central Park Zoo last week. That means <laughs> I know it sounds stupid, right? Like, why would I, why, why would I want that zoo? Because it's cool to say, do you know I own the Central Park Zoo? I also bought my co-op building that I live in, which I now own one unit in real life. I bought the whole damn building. I can't wait to tell my arrogant investment bankers in the elevator, hey, did you hear I bought the building? <laughs> it's stupid. It's for sport. But it's good for my ego. It's a lot of fun. 
And you never know, you know, it's kind of, kind of, kind of good. Is I bought, sadly, uh, my, my, I was late on it. I bought my first NFT in the world of women for $30,000. I hated to pay the $30,000 because two weeks before it was $8,000. So what was I a fool? No, but there's enough people that believe in that. And it's a good platform that is now worth $40,000. Will I sell it to make my 10,000? No, but now I'm smart. Hey, did you hear I bought nothing? For $30,000 and the nothing is worth $40,000. It's crazy, right? But if you have enough believers, I've learned if you have enough believers, uh, you can make something a reality that isn't a reality. And it's, uh, and I just believe that's the nature of this whole thing that's happening. So that leads me to a question as you, as you make these bets in the metaverse back here in the, uh, in the universe, Mm -hmm. uh what you know it's probably hard for you to define this but maybe you have one what is the best bet you ever made barbara uh, in real life in real life yes uh betting on myself to start my own business which i wasn't confident but i bet on myself and thank god i mean not that i had a bad time waitressing i mean i was a great waitress and i i always knew my whole life i could go hit the floor and be a waitress again. So what's really to be afraid of if you don't mind going back, right? That was the best bet. Uh, but if you're asking me in a financial sense, which I is probably uh, where you're going with this, I would say uh, buying my first townhouse in Greenwich Village because I was itching to enter uh, the real estate market in the village from uptown. Nobody was down there and I could smell it was a moneymaker. Everybody loved visiting the village. Nobody lived there. Uh, but I couldn't find an office space. So I just bought the townhouse and I think I paid $80,000 for it. I didn't know where the hell I was going to get the down payment. But you know, like everything, you give yourself a deadline, uh, you find a way, right? So when I closed on that building, I never took it serious. I at least had an office space and we cleaned up in the downtown market early. We got such a head start because of that. But that $80,000 building is worth uh, today. God, what is it worth? I really don't even know. I don't check because I don't plan on ever selling because my lucky charm, I would, I can't even imagine. It's probably worth $30 million. I would say wow. big best building. Okay. But on the back of that building, I bought a second building on the back of that building, a third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And I became a real estate investor again, to my earlier point that you got to get in the game. So I'm not trying to be arrogant, like buy your first townhouse, no, your brownstone, you know, with income producing, not that, but whatever you're aspired to, um, I'm just such a believer in real estate. It's really the most assured, uh, slow way of getting very, very rich. Just well, what do you make of, you know, people who are concerned about being house poor, right? Like how much is stretching too much? Is there a rule of thumb that you give people? No, because you know what? It depends upon how much you want what. I mean, if you're going to be miserable and biting off the head of your spouse every night uh, because you can barely get a good meal going, right? Because you're so house poor. I can't imagine justifying anything like that because you got to have a miserable life and you could be dead in 10 years. So maybe all you really got to live was those 10 years of a miserable life. Uh, but about stretching yourself and giving yourself a timeline and working your buns off to get what you want as a starter, I think sacrifice is a part of the game. Unless, of course, you have rich folks as parents, we could call them up. Then you get your cake and eat it too, right? Is there another career, if, if you had to do it all over again, Barbara, like you went into real estate, is there another career that you're like, boy, I wish I had done X, Y, or Z, or there's a part of me that always had a passion for something? What is it? Well, um, if it was to make a ton of money, like why be an operator 
in a traditional business where you can make yourself rich, but I'm talking about a ton of money, like billionaires where I have a fleet of jets. Um, I would hope I would go into the technology uh, space because the plays there are enormous, but I don't know a darn thing about technology, really, a little bit, but hardly, okay? Um, but if you're asking me what I would naturally do well, I'm sure I could have, you know, marketing's my gig and people are my gig. I could have built a huge public relations company we're a huge advertising company. That's my sweet spot. But I thought about it before I went into media and it lacked two things <laughs> or it had one thing and lacked one thing. What it lacked was an audience and I wanted an audience. I like an audience. I know my personality. <laughs> and of course, uh, what it gave me that I had no interest in, I'd have to make clients happy. Why would I want to make a client happy? I'd rather just make myself happy. So even though I'd be in business for myself, it would be too much like uh, working for other people. Yeah. What's next for you? Uh, what do you what do you aspire to uh, get get into next for Barbara Inc? Well, um, I hope uh, that I'm going to be very clear on what I do in the metaverse. I'm very excited about that. Okay, that's one. Uh, secondly, I have uh, a TV series not ready to come out. It's being written now, but it was bought. Uh, kind of like the rise of New York City and the rise of this little girl in the city. You know. Uh, and then what else? And I have a book that's been on the back burner for three years because it takes so long to write. I'm dying to put out that book. It's a great book. Finding great people. I think that's my gift. One of my gifts. Uh, but we'll see if I ever get the pen to, pen to the paper again. You know, it's very hard to make time. You know, it's very hard to make time. You know, it's just. The, I, I always read this advice like, you know, what what great people, what billionaires and CEOs, what their schedule is. And some are up at 4 a.m. meditating. Some, you know, they all have that advice. like. They're they're going to sleep earlier than or they're going to sleep later than everybody else. They're waking up earlier than everybody else. They're meditating. Wait, are there certain things that you're like, listen, these are things I swear by that have made me more productive, more efficient, um, be able to manage all the things that I manage? Um, I don't know. You know, I had a great head start because I'm a lot like my mother who managed 10 kids in a two bedroom flat. And we had the most organized house in town. I'm super organized. That helps. So I'm a list maker. I'm a very good rater of what's important on the list, the A, Bs, and Cs. I know what my priorities are, you know, and it's the A's are the ones that are going to bring you a return for your effort. You have the best chance of success. I don't ever get to my C's, even though I wish I would more often, you know. Um, and, you know, I don't have a formula. Everybody's different, whatever floats you boat. For me, thank God I work out three days a week because it's kept me healthy in my energy high. Although my mother never worked out, she did housework and she had energy till the day she dropped dead. So maybe it really isn't a factor. Uh, but you know what? Uh, the most important thing, honestly, it's funny. I never really thought about it because nobody's ever asked. It sounds like a good question. Surround yourself with good people. When you have great people around you, right attitude, very talented with room for growth. Um, life is a pleasure. Because again, there's no stop sign on the end and you feel like, and you have a lot more fun working with people like this. You get yourself surrounded by a clunker, take your breath away, take your energy away, make you feel depressed. Oh, it sucks the whole office. I, I in hiring the, neg the negativity kills, kills a vibe, kills everything. And so I think, and, and a lot of what you've described today, um, mm -hmm. success is predicated on optimism, on manifestation, uh, oh. that positivity brings a lot to the table, huh? Mm-hmm. Your chances of success are doubled. And the chances you're going to have fun getting there are tripled. <laughs> That's important because you don't know how much time you have left on any given day, right?
Uh, of course. I, I'm looking forward to this TV series, by the way. It sounds like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel meets Barbara Corcoran. Oh, no, it's going to be so much better. All right, Barbara, thank you so much. Appreciate your, your sage advice um, and look forward to talking to you again soon. A great interview. I really mean that. Terrific. My thanks to Barbara Corcoran for her incredible insight and perspective and joining me for this conversation. You can check out her podcast, Business Unusual, wherever you get your podcasts. She's also a long running shark on Shark Tank. So you can check that out on ABC and I think the reruns or over on CNBC. And Barbara is pretty prolific on social media as we discussed. You can find her on TikTok, Instagram, and all the various channels. You can read more from our conversation in the Mo News newsletter. That's over at monews.bulletin.com. Please subscribe to the newsletter over there. And you can follow me at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H for all your news needs on Instagram. I plan to continue to bring you regular conversations with perspective from experts, leaders, and journalists on all the topics you're interested in. Please reach out to us at my email address, podcast at mo.news with suggestions on topics and guests. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all back here soon.